0: podcast tell me more about who you are um and we can get started from there well my name is
1: Maxim makachev um, i am a founder of uh, startup susuroba which is uh, headquartered in osaka but we are uh, distributed between japan and osaka and tokyo and canada and san francisco um, my background is in uh, uh, natural language um, communication, natural language interaction for software and for robots. And our startup is focusing on natural language interaction with their virtual agents.
0: And I had the pleasure to watch the product and it was really cool to see um, what you guys are building with how realistic and how responsive like the robots were.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. We are at early stage still of development, so these are better tests and we're still looking for product
0: market fit. Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we have some technology to play with uh, even now. And your team is highly distributed and your background also, you mm-hmm. basically moved around a lot, right? Can you tell me more about... Like, where you grew up and then all the places that you've lived.
1: Sure, yeah, that reminds me of my interview with uh, some, some, you know, men in suits that I had once in a while. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I was born in Uzbekistan um, during the Soviet Union time still. And um, uh, after high school, I started at university in Russia, in Moscow. And uh, after graduation, I went to Hong Kong for uh, postgraduate studies in uh, they call it mechatronic engineering. So I was at that time I was very interested in building robots, like real you know hardware robots. So that was kind of my uh, passion at the time. But then you know like that was I mean I I'm gonna date myself a bit, but uh, in the 90s you know walking robots were still much. Are less uh, widespread, I think, than than now, right? so, Like wheels were the the, the thing that time. Um, so after Hong Kong, but I, I quickly, you know, like two or three years in three years in Hong Kong, I realized, you know, hardware is really hard even to to work with. So I had enough of hardware, so I wanted to do like software AI. So I got a job at the University of Pittsburgh in the U.S. um, to work on conversational AI for tutoring systems. So basically, that's uh, automated tutors talking to the students and, you know, students solving the problem via the dialogue with the tutor. Um, That was a fun Mm -hmm. gig, like, for about six years, I did it uh, at the University of Pittsburgh, and then I joined a grad school in... The same city in Carnegie Mellon University, mm-hmm. um, doing uh, robots that working on robots that can talk. Mm-hmm. So kind of merging my two two passions for both robots and like conversational AI.
0: And these were hardware robots that you can have conversations with.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: And this was uh, this was a research project, or did it go to to market?
1: It's a research project, but it's involved a few real hardware robots that um, were deployed um, as a kind of like in CMU, they call them robot receptionists, roboceptionists. (laughs) Uh, So there was one roboceptionist there that was built before I joined, and uh, and I kind of worked on some dialogue for that robot, and uh, the new one was built for a new building in CMU that actually was um, playing Scrabble on a touch, on a giant touch screen Mm -hmm. and uh, could play with uh, three human players simultaneously, uh, like four, you know, four, one robot Mm -hmm. and three players playing Scrabble and (laughs) trash talk, you know, make the game
0: interesting. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) And uh, we, yeah. Trash Token was great. I think that's one way we found out, you know, with some, something that was known from tutoring system before is that the tutor or the, you know, the conversational partner does not have to be polite to be engaging. So sometimes, like, actually a rude tutor is more engaging than a polite tutor that was known from research before. And this rude trash token robot was super engaging to the point of, like, making people
0: mad you know <laughs> wait so what so like you would get as a T, you yeah. might get like um a question wrong and this robot would start basically getting mad or trash talking the student
1: oh the 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 scrabble playing robot was not tutoring he was just a, um, another you know just a partner in scrabble but because it was competitive game he would he would trash talk using some sort of like CMU references, for example, like you would say, like, "Oh, you scored less than a CMU student at a party," and you know, <laughs> you know we hired some, we hired some pretty prolific trash talkers, uh, naturals from from undergrad population, you know, so they contributed a lot of like a very a very deep disses to the students.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely hilarious and that's brilliant <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so after Carnegie Mellon mm-hmm. you're building the trash talking robot uh where did that take you after
1: yeah so like during the many many years of the uh, uh, grad school in Carnegie Mellon you know I realized that uh, um, building robots is um is great thing and uh however I think the best evaluation of a robot is when it's in the hands of the human users. Um, uh, in, in, in my case, like the robots that uh, I was interested to work with were like human robots that interact with humans, right? So unfortunately, like in a research environment, like the best you can get is like those kind of robots that are placed inside universities, right? So they get some action, but um, nothing like a robot that is at home, you know, like, Talking to the hopefully millions of uh, customers, so that's why mm-hmm. I decided to join a startup um, which is called Jibo. So we did a what was marketed as a first family, ro- first robot for a family, and mm-hmm. it was uh, announced just before Alexa did uh, their, mm-hmm. just before Amazon announced first uh, Echo. Um, device. So, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a home assistant uh, that could interact with uh, people using natural language and could also express uh, feelings by movement, you know, like it had like personality and movement uh, that was expre- expressed both on a screen and by physical movement of the body.
0: Mm-hmm. So, it was kind of like a, like a screen and then in the screen there was like a, a virtual human being that was talking to you like an alexa but it was more like the visualization was like a cortana right
1: actually it was kind of like that but inside out so it was actually physically um robot that looked like kind of a bit like a snowman kind of like with the two like balls on top of each other if you want to visualize that and um it could, it could uh, move its body in a quite unusual way for the robot. So it would like, it could tilt like, and bend, bend the shape, you know, like um, very smooth movements. So something unexpected from the robots, you know, typically. So, uh, and it had a face, was a screen. So it had like one giant eye that could move around and uh, like express the emotion with an eye. Um, there are still plenty, like quite a few videos on on YouTube, so yeah. and, uh, I think people can look up. Yeah.
0: And where was that company?
1: It was an MIT spinoff, so the headquarters was in Boston. Okay. Uh, it was a spinoff of Media Media Lab, um, and uh, I worked in a uh, California Silicon Valley office, which was in Redwood City.
0: That opportunity brought you to California
1: exactly so um, by the time i've been in Facebook yeah. like for quite a while for 14 years almost and i thought like wow well, yeah. it's good to explore america a little bit more and uh, i moved to san francisco which was uh, a lot of fun i think more um, time and um, yeah so i stayed with gbo for almost mm-hmm. four years almost until the end of the company so uh, i st- I quit on a day we shipped the robot (laughs) and I I joined, I was like one of the first 10 employers, I think, joined before we actually had a, you know, like I guess my sentiment was shared by the management too, because they laid off, a month later, laid laid off a huge portion of engineering stuff, you know, (laughs) to focus on sales. but unfortunately, the sales didn't go well either, so the company had to mm-hmm. sell off the assets next year
0: and then now that brings after that that brings us yes. to does it bring us to Cecerava?
1: um almost yeah, so after that, I kind of um, did a couple of gigs in San Francisco for like the longest one was for a new startup called Volley, doing the converse uh, like voice skills for Alexa, and, you know yeah. after all. Like, I had to kind of switch the front lines and join Alexa kind of bandwagon and, like, did some games for Alexa uh, for volley. Um, and, yeah, so eventually I decided to move to Japan and start robot
0: That's awesome. And now that brings us to Osaka. Why would you choose Osaka? And, yeah, who... Who the, the team that you are working with on SisuRobo, like how'd you mind mm. them? Did you work with them in the past? What's that background?
1: Right. Um, so my co-founders are my friends. So one of them is my co-worker from Jibo, who I worked together for a couple of years. Um, he's an engineer as well. And um, another co-founder is... Uh, in Tokyo, so he was my friend from Japan for a few years as well. And he's more into sales part. So the three of ours decided to start the the company together. And uh, why Osaka? This is a tough question. So (laughs) Um, there are many reasons. Um, I think one reason is like, I try not to follow the main Trends usually, you know, uh, as much as I can, and you know, t- going to the capital is kind of an obvious choice, right? Yeah. But uh, you know, I believe the future will be decentralized, like in in many ways.
0: I have that belief too, uh,
1: right? <laughs> um, I think there is a lot of evidence towards the, that it makes sense, right? Recently, so, um, Osaka is uh, kind of metropolitan enough, but on the at the same time, it's smaller than Tokyo, so it has a little bit um, different vibe, um, and it has a subculture, very strong subculture, uh, like kansai culture is mm-hmm. kind of uh, stereotypically very kind of open and they are jo- considered jokers like. Um, and,
0: yeah, they're way funnier than people in Tokyo. You know, that's what people say.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to catch up with their level of <laughs> fun. Yeah, um, and also I, I had some friends in Osaka, so you know I wasn't going to completely unknown place. So I've been there before. Uh, but kind of main reason that I actually did the last push was that um, the um, the way I came to Japan was on startup visa. That was a relatively new visa that is sponsored by the mm-hmm. municipal government usually. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of visa that allows you to come before you open your own company, and then you can open company and sponsor yourself for a business visa. So it's kind of like patch visa to patch kind of your your arrival uh, to Japan. So um, Tokyo government, when I contacted them, they were too busy and uh, kind of to provide individual help, uh, understandably. Uh, but mm-hmm. Osaka government, because it was a brand new visa for
0: Osaka, so they kind of held me for a while,
1: and, which made it pretty smooth and pretty easy choice for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And startup scene in Japan, I would love to hear just, like, what you... Is it something that you expected it to be, or what what was it like? Um, yeah, um I
1: expected it to be less active than San Francisco, of course, but um you know before I was mostly familiar with the startup scene in Tokyo, which is quite lively uh so Osaka is much quieter of course, so this is probably the biggest uh kind of, um, difference that I could uh. Perceive, and that's the biggest diff- difficulty for founders. I think for a new founder, because you know you don't just have a new country where you have to you know make new friends, uh, another language, but also you are somewhat isolated in terms of the, the start fellow startup um, emotional support that you can get in in the biggest cities you know, like San Francisco, or New York,
0: and that. That would you say that is a challenge that you had to like really learn and go through, or, or do you think you, as an individual moving around to different environments, have already helped you set up for like all these change, all these like challenges, even if you're living in Osaka, where the startup scene might not be as big, um you were like mentally ready for that um,
1: yeah I think with experience you know I kinda try to shift my um, uh, kind of mental framework from being a consumer to being a producer in general mm. so uh, you know there's no not much seen not much startup seen in Osaka so why can't I contribute to making one right so I organized like a couple of events you know yeah. and try to be proactive in making connections. I love that.
0: I Yeah, I love that because, <laughs> like, even when we were in Austin, you were, like, always doing stuff, meeting people, hanging out, like, building community. And I think that's, that's really cool about you. Um, you were in U.S. for a long time. You saw all these places, Pittsburgh, like, you probably visited Boston, San Francisco, Bay Area, where they were building. And that startup culture was pretty big um what do you yeah i guess what do you miss about the us in hindsight going to like a different country to build um it's a good question so i think um
1: just the amount of the activity about the new ventures in the u.s um, in this, at least in San Francisco and even Pittsburgh um, is enor- is enormous. Mm-hmm. So there are all kinds of events and there all kinds of people actually, people from different backgrounds, you know, come to being entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of students, you know, for example, like Carnegie Mellon was very active in uh, Encour- encouraging students to start their own company, and this is what Japan tries to do now as well. But uh, the numbers
0: are not there, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah. like when we we're in Austin; they're talking about just the ecosystem of you need one or two big exits, and then that snow slowly, slowly uh, snowballs. Yeah.
1: Right, and I think it's starting in Japan as well. You know, with their. Some bigger exits, some recent yeah. exits, and there uh, are some successful kind of um, American-style, you know, management companies like Rakuten, yeah. and probably SoftBank to an extent. Yeah.
0: Where is the energy for entrepreneurship coming from? Is it top down? Is it bottom up? Uh, combination of both. <laughs> That's a great question because in Japan there is a lot yeah. of
1: top down, like um, encouragement for entrepreneurship. You know, there's. Yeah. all these government initiatives there are all kind of uh, uh, subsidies that are of course yeah. they' are helpful and they make it more acceptable on their, uh on a human level as well you know to do entrepreneurship and uh, maybe more financially feasible if you are able to take advantage of this uh, kind of financial support from the government but um, I feel like uh, the biggest shift actually cannot happen without their, you know, bottom up, so kind of like grassroots movement, of course. And uh, that requires a generational kind of culture shift. You know, in a country, especially as Mm -hmm. traditional and um, somewhat inert as Japan, Japan, you know, the inertia is uh, relatively high there, I feel. On the other hand, you know, like I shouldn't probably like just say it like as a blanket statement because uh, when the momentum builds, Japan can shift gears very quickly as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it may feel like a little slow now to me, but you know, I I could expect that you know the shift can become like exponentially fast as well. I agree.
0: I I recently finished just a book mm-hmm. about like post-war Japan and. From absolutely going from nothing to building, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a culture where you're building everything from textiles to electronics to vehicles. That happened in a very short period of time post-war. So I think you're totally right saying when when it shifts, it shifts Mm -hmm. very quickly. So last question for me. um, Building in Japan, what are you... um, Hopeful or optimistic about
1: building in Japan? Well, i I hope that uh, you know I have chosen Japan not for an easiest path, right? But uh, first of all, because I wanted to live there, right? And secondly, because I wanted to experience building a startup in Japan. Um, so I hope that my yeah. experience is not beneficial just to me personally, but to the, uh, you know, community in uh, Osaka as a, uh, not a main startup hub uh, in Japan, but uh, as well as Japan itself, you know, which is not a main startup country in the world. So I think every, this is a place and time where like every single entrepreneur can be influential in building a startup ecosystem. And, um, you know, I'd be honored to have some contribution to that, for sure.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a great place to end. Well, thank you so much, Maxime. (laughs) This has been a true pleasure. Thank you,
1: Andrew.